Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the climate change acceptor, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help us underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now, let's get to it. The climate crisis can seem overwhelming. I mean, even earlier this month, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued a report calling for immediate action to limit emissions in order to ensure we don't increase global warming beyond 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 1.5 Celsius. The headlines were dire, relaying the statements from the UN's committee in papers around the country, really, and around the world. For the unengaged, this would seem like another reason to throw your hands up and say, it's too late, there's nothing I can do. But Lucy, as we look at increased intensity, frequency, and geographic occurrence of weather events like hurricanes, tornadoes, drought, and wildfires, is it too late? Can we get right to the bottom line? Is it too late? It's never too late. It is already too late to stop all change, but every choice we make is a choice to make things worse or better. Atmospheric science, like many sciences, is complicated, and it's easy to give up trying to figure it out, right? We want to make that the scientist's job. You tell us what it is we need to do. The problem with this approach is that there isn't a black and white answer. A scientist models processes, which is a whole big complicated thing with a lot of variables. To do that modeling, she creates an equation or equations that express a continuum, for instance, of how the temperature rises as CO2 concentrations change. But the reporter that's trying to report on this and get a clickbait title to get you to come read a story, or the elected official trying to decide what to do balanced against everything else he's got to do, wants a statement. I have to do X no later than time Y. So the scientist will take her equation, expressing a continuum, and makes assumptions. For instance, if we say we want to limit this temperature increase to 1.5 degrees C, that gives her one variable to set as a constant. Instead of making temperature a variable, we now call it this constant. This is the temperature increase, and then we can solve for a date by which we have to do whatever to get it all done, 2025. Does that mean we're supposed to give up if we haven't accomplished this by 2025? Of course not. We just have to accept that we're gonna get a larger temperature increase unless we move really rapidly now. This reminds me of the conversations we had more than a decade ago when there was discussion about how do we tell people about their earthquake risk? What's the likelihood of a big earthquake or an earthquake that is the Northridge size, a 6.7 or greater within a certain time frame? And we looked at 30-year increments because that was a time frame, a time scale that people understood because it's the length of most people's home mortgages. It's not long, but it's also not incomprehensible to most people like in the next century, right? So this work around climate, as you acknowledged, is even more nuanced. So how do we get to that, quote, 30-year equivalent like we did for earthquakes, but for climate. Well, and we do need to remember that when we did this for earthquakes, people thought that's when the earthquake was going to happen instead of thinking it was people's mortgages. So even with those, we have to be careful how we communicate. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing here as well, that they set a date and said, this is the drop dead date. We have to do something. But in fact, that's not exactly true. Right. And to understand it, let's just take that little step back to the basics. 
Yes, the modeling in atmospheric science is quite complicated, but it is based on a pretty simple principle. And this is not contested science. This is just the basic physics of what happens when a ray of light hits different gas molecules. The sunlight comes to Earth mostly in the visible light spectrum and higher frequencies. So when those waves coming from the sun hit a carbon dioxide molecule, they mostly pass on through because they're these short wavelengths. After those waves hit the Earth, they warm the Earth, and the Earth now gives off radiation at longer wavelengths, infrared radiation. You know, it's like the way you feel heat when you stand near a rock that has been in a fireplace, right? That's infrared radiation coming off of the rock. This goes up into the atmosphere with these much longer wavelengths, hit those same carbon dioxide molecules, and don't pass through. Rather, they get reflected back down, get trapped in the atmosphere, and the heat is held in the air around us. This is called being a greenhouse gas, passing through light, but trapping the heat. You might have a personal experience with this if you've been out in the desert, because water vapor is another greenhouse gas. When you're out in the desert and it's really hot in the day, but the sun goes down, there's almost no water in the atmosphere to have held onto the heat, and it gets much, much colder at night in the desert than you do in places that have wetter air. There's not so much heat trapping going on. You know that this happens, and we should be glad that it happens. Otherwise, the Earth would not be warm enough for life to exist. So we need to have some greenhouse gases. We need to have some molecules trapping heat. Otherwise, we wouldn't exist to begin with. Exactly. The problem is when we add even more CO2, and we do this in a lot of ways, right? We burn fossil fuels is the really obvious one. But then also many manufacturing techniques that we're using to build our cities produce quite a bit of CO2. And there's an implicit one when we remove forests because trees trap CO2 and convert it to oxygen. We are increasing CO2 by getting rid of forests as well. Each extra bit of CO2 is like adding another blanket to the earth. You don't immediately get warm when you put on a blanket. You have to trap the heat that was generated by your body within that blanket and you gradually warm up. So we've now increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by more than 50% since the pre-industrial era. Those are a lot of blankets that have been put on and we are continuing to warm because of them. We could stop CO2 production today, go immediately to zero extra CO2, and we're still going to warm at almost another degree Fahrenheit because we've already got that blanket there. We've let it go so far, we need to be seriously looking at ways of adding forests and other ways of removing carbon from the atmosphere. That's a great way to think about this work and as it puts into context why we need to take action. So going back to those headlines, when you think about the time is now, it's dire, it's do or die, how do you look at this topic when you read these kinds of articles? I remember that the headline writers need a snappy short answer, and that is never the complete answer. And also, I feel like I do often with seismology. What we need to do to be safer in earthquakes is not what's in the most recent journal article. It's the stuff that we learned a decade ago or decades ago and haven't been put into practice. What we need to be doing with climate change is not dependent upon the most recent research. It's very straightforward. Every bit of CO2 we can keep out of the atmosphere or remove from the atmosphere is going to minimize the amount of change. That's pretty straightforward. So when people read headlines or even reports, what should they think or do? They need to just remember, okay, this is more information. They want to understand more, try and do it. But don't think that this is a deadline. The most recent study 
doesn't change the bottom line of what we need to do, and it hasn't changed for quite a while. We can always make things better by reducing emissions more quickly, and we can always make things worse by putting off the hard decisions. The other part to remember when we're thinking about all of this is to remember that it's a global problem. The atmosphere does not respect country boundaries and everything we do affects everyone else and what they do affects us. The one thing though is we can't use this as an excuse. You know, if we say, I'm not gonna do this because China isn't or Russia isn't or whatever, all you've done is increase even more what's going on. And especially in a problem like this, there becomes a global norm. If we could set the standard that we're really dealing with it, then we'll bring the other countries along because people don't want to be looking like the bad player. And just like when we build community resilience to a natural disaster locally, we all have to work together and everybody has to do their part. The same is true here as we tackle this global crisis of climate change and the increase of heat in the atmosphere, accelerating that change. So we'll leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. 